AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games With Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. They are Sports Illustrated. It's amazing. This incredible body of work. I really appreciate the integrity. Everything you do is well done. You guys do a great job. Uh, We love it. What can we say? He's Chris Maddox. He's employed by Sports Illustrated. The announcer's got it in for me. There you go. This is the Crossover NBA Podcast. You have a problem with it? Build a team that can beat them. Hosted by the one and only. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Chris Maddox. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Crossover NBA Podcast. Glad you could join me this week because we have a really good show lined up for you. The news of the week is that the NBA is starting a new program that will change the face of the G League and maybe change the face of college basketball. This program uh, creates a select team that will feature some top prospects. These prospects will be paid uh, more significantly than other G League players It's already luring a player like Jalen Green, who is uh, projected by some to be the top pick in the 2021 draft. To talk about that, I want to bring in Jeremy Wu, the NBA draft analyst over at SI.com. I want to get Jeremy's take on this new program, the impact it's going to have on college basketball. Also, what teams are doing right now to prepare for the draft during this pandemic and how his big board has been shaken up as a result of the NCAA tournament not taking place. So it's a great conversation with Jeremy Wu. A little bit later on, Eric Musselman, the head coach of the University of Arkansas. Eric has a unique perspective on this new G League program because in addition to being a high-level college coach, Eric is also a former NBA coach, a former NBA G League coach. So I want to get his thoughts on this program, uh, the appeal it's going to have for high-level high school prospects, the impact it's going to have on college basketball, and how college basketball needs to respond to the NBA kind of changing the rules on them once again. So stick around for that. It's a great talk with Eric Musselman. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Jeremy Wu. 
All right, joining me now on the podcast is Jeremy Wu, SI.com, NBA writer, NBA draft analyst, whose uh, life, I imagine, has been uh, significantly impacted by what's been going on with the coronavirus. Probably a pretty busy travel time for you, Jeremy. What's going on? Hey, man, it's good to, good to hear your voice. Uh, it's, it's been a while. Um, yeah, you know, normally this is the busiest time of the year uh, for the draft. You know, Portsmouth would have been... Uh, I believe last week or two weeks ago. And then, you know, the combine would have been uh, about a month away. So this is kind of the time, uh, you know, where things would have started to ramp up. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the early entry list will come out soon, but um, you, you know, obviously a big vacancy uh, in my life, as far as, you know, not having March, uh, you know, not really being on the road, uh, you know, being in my basement, uh, which, you know, in itself is a break, which is helpful, but uh, uh, definitely a change of pace. It's weird for everyone. The NBA, yeah. too. Yeah, no question about that. I want to get to a lot of uh, draft stuff in, in a couple of minutes, but the big news of this week is what the NBA is doing with its G League. The NBA announced a new initiative with the G League. Beginning next season, there will be a new team made up of select players who will be part of a year-long development program. These players will make more money than NBA players. Jalen Green a potential top pick in 2021. He's going to reportedly earn about $500,000 next season while also having access to a full college scholarship that he can use anytime. I guess, give me your overall uh, reaction, Jeremy, to what the NBA is doing here and the the impact it could have in the next couple of years. I think objectively, it's a pretty good idea. Um, in the you know, the absence of being able to really lift, uh, you know, or make a big change as far as one and done, uh, you know, in, in theory, this makes sense for the NBA where, uh, you know, you're getting guys in, you know, you're able to, you know, sort of use them, uh, in the marketing, you know, they're able to use your platform. Like, I, I think one element that's big in this is just, you know, these, these kids have so many followers now, you know, they bring so much, uh, sort of weight with them, as teenagers, uh, and you know, they don't necessarily need college to make the most out of the visibility aspect anymore. I think that's for sure. So, um, you know, that they're going to have to work really hard to get the right guys. And, you know, I'm not sure as far as like scope, if they can really, you know, there's talk about maybe they'll add, you know, try to make it into you know more than one team down the line. And I think first things first, you know, this needs to be a success. And, uh, but bottom line, look, they're not going to put these kids in position to look bad, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what their schedule is going to look like. I expect there to be some international games. I expect there to be you know, games against G League teams. But but they're not going to put these guys in positions to totally fall flat. Uh, so so I think from a player perspective, it's pretty attractive uh, just knowing that, you know, there's there's no BS. It's, you know, you're going to be one and done. You're, you're going to go have access to the facilities. You know, the lifestyle component is better, you know, by, by doing it this way. Uh, and, you know, they're able to make more uh, more money. Uh, in, in this type of setup. So, you know, it's obviously not good for college basketball, but uh, from an NBA perspective, I think it's sensible for a number of reasons. So Jalen Green was the centerpiece of all this, the first guy announced to join the G League, this G League select team. Um, give, give me a sense of just how good he is. Like how big a deal is it to get Jalen Green to bypass college and go play in the G League? It, it's really a big deal. Uh, just from the standpoint of, you know, you need someone to be the right type of trendsetter for this to work. Uh, there are probably a handful of guys tops in high school basketball who I think probably have enough respect from their peers to be looked at as, hey, you know, this is a guy who did something, and, you know, maybe this is right for me, right? Like, you know, for the guys for the next, you know, two or three years down the line. Uh, you know, Green, if he were in the 2020 draft, he'd probably be the number one pick um, off what I've seen this year. Uh, you know, next year, uh, he'll be, you know, top five, likely. Um, you know, he may not be one. Cade Cunningham is in the draft. You know, Cade Cunningham is a really good case uh, for number one. But uh, definitely a legit talent. Um, can can really score the ball. He's a very good athlete. Uh, and I, I think he, he did make some strides this year. I probably saw him play three or four times live. Just, just in terms of uh, taking the game seriously, uh, you know, competing – for the sake of competing, you know, sometimes he gets uh, criticized for being a little bit of a, a showboat and, you know, there, there's still some of those types of tendencies with him and 
you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, what makes him tick, but the talent is, I don't think is, is in question. You know, he's a really, really good scorer. He can shoot front side. He can get in the paint and uh, bottom line again, they needed a guy who could be a trendsetter who other players would follow. And he is that caliber of, of player. Do you get any sense from, you know, just people you talk to or, or otherwise that, there could be a run on some top prospects. I mean, I think was it Isaiah Todd was the next guy to join uh, the G League group. I mean, could we? Uh, how big a run of guys are we going to see in the next you know few months? Decide to go this route. Well, so it's important to keep in mind. You know, the NBA is being um, careful with who they invite to this. It's not like every top twenty-five kid is even getting an invite. Uh, you know, they are being very selective, uh, which I think is really key. Uh, so, you know, while I do think you can see more kids maybe take this offer, like whether it's, uh, you know, well, first of all, let me say like, it also depends on the fate of the college basketball season, right? Because if there, you know, if, if there is no college basketball season, but, you know, theoretically with, if the virus, uh, fallout sort of lingers into the fall, I mean, if that were to happen in the worst case scenario, uh, you know, if the NBA or in pro competition is able to continue, uh, then maybe you see, you know, some additions. Um, Greg Brown is committing Friday. Uh, you know, I think there'll be Texas or it'll be this program. Um, I don't have any information as to either way, but I think Texas was thought to be the, the leader for him. But, you know, Greg is a type of player who I think would be perfect for this too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it's going to depend. I mean, maybe there are kids in the, you know, the 21 class who are going to reclassify up, who are old enough to reclassify up, who can take this route instead. Um, you know, I, but I do think it's good that they are targeting the right types of kids. So I don't think it's going to be some mass exodus just because I think the NBA does, isn't going to just like jump in with both feet and, you know, pull everybody. But I do think you'll see uh, just, just based on green setting precedent, I think is meaningful uh, as far as the type of caliber of player they're going to get. You know, for the last couple of years, you know, we've been hearing that the one-and-done rule was going to go away, that Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts were fundamentally on the same page about the one-and-done rule. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, but do you see this select team and this G League initiative, is it a placeholder until they get through, or they, until they agree on some kind of deal to make the one-and-done rule go away? Or do you see it as something that can coexist with an NBA that has uh, you know open license for high school players to join. Yeah, I think right now I'm looking at it as more of a stopgap uh just because you know if you could just if these guys and look if Jalen Green could go straight to the NBA right now he'd do it. Um but but uh again if this is a success then maybe it gets reframed differently in a couple years. Um you know that's hard to say. But 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 I do think you know it's it's an effective hopefully uh you know sort of intermediary you know in, in the time in between now and however long it takes i mean from my understanding of it i think you know adam silver had really pushed for it i don't know that there was enough like impetus from teams and players and like enough push for it to like become an immediate priority and so you know I, I, my my hunch right now would be you know at the absolute latest i mean by the, by the time that the next collective bargaining agreement you know, when, when that next round of collective bargaining happens, I would guess that this becomes, you know, the one and done thing becomes a major, uh, you know, part of that. And, and that's probably when I think you could see a change because I, I do think it's happening. But, uh, you know, I think in the in the interim, uh, this is a response to, you know, that that push. And uh, I think at least, you know, you're able to get, pay kids more uh, and sort of you get the oversight aspect of it. Um, that I think it's a pretty worthwhile experiment. I, I wonder, and I'm just sort of, you know, throwing stuff against the wall here at this point. But I wonder who the first team is to try to find a way to take advantage of this. Like, and I don't know how they would yet, but I mean, I remember what was it? Um, Oklahoma City. They've done this where they draft a guy and they tell him to go, you know, disappear into the G League or disappear into Europe. Uh, we see it with European players all the time, so the clock doesn't start on their uh, on their 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 salaries on their uh, their contracts. Uh, I wonder if we'll see that at some point where. You know, somebody tries to take advantage of this G League with top prospects and and work the system so they're able to get a guy or get a guy to stay longer. Yeah, yeah. If, if this becomes, you know, I, I guess right now I'm not sure like how this would become like a stashable thing, but you mm. know, teams are teams are creative and you know, yeah. you, you never know. So, um, yeah, I mean, if this becomes a viable thing, uh, you know, maybe maybe you do see 
uh, you know, some loophole. I don't, I don't know what it would be, but uh, yeah, I don't think that's, that's far off from how teams might be thinking. No, I don't, I don't think it is at all. I think, you know, smart GMs like Sam Presti or, you know, Daryl Morey, Dennis Lindsay, like these guys are probably, you know, thinking of creative ways to use it right now, having their, their executives kind of pour through the language there to figure out how uh, they can make it work for them. I wouldn't be surprised next couple of years to see teams uh, try to do that. So you said at the top, like, this is not good for college basketball. I mean, how does college basketball respond to something like this, knowing that, you know, for the next few years, uh, you know, some of their top guys may elect to decommit and go in a different direction? Or do they just kind of operate like, look, we saw this coming uh, anyway. We knew just like the media knows and fans know that the one-and-done rule is going to go away. It's just sort of, you know, it's just an acceleration of all that. Yeah, I I guess the counterpoint to, you, you know, obviously it's bad, but at the same time, you know these these guys are there so briefly anyhow that you know some some on some level maybe there is value to hey maybe you know if you're a top program you have to recruit differently you have to look at hey who can we develop for two or three years instead of just taking the one and done talent like so, some of those problems are going to come off the table um, you know the lack of elite talent will probably lead to a little bit less uh, you know splashy headlines or whatever but it, maybe it does go back more towards the old school. Uh, a way where you know you're developing players, you really can keep a group together for two or three years and kind of reap the benefits. So maybe maybe we do see an actual uptick in the quality of play because of that. Maybe like that, that's my optimistic take, right? I mean, I watched a lot of really bad college basketball games this year, and you know the turnover doesn't help, and obviously the transfers aren't going to stop. Um, but yeah, I mean, the hope would be for college basketball that it can basically you know keep that next year of kid uh, and coaches can keep those groups together. There's a little bit less immediate you know NBA flight. You know, there's always going to be guys who go, but um, you, being able to coach a group together is something that you know the the top top schools have not been really under been under pressure to do, like the Dukes and the Kentuckys, right? I mean, when was the last time they really were able to do that? So uh, I'm curious to see what the like the fallout is going to be with that. Oh, it can't make the quality of play worse. I mean, to, with, due, <laughs> with due respect to the coaches and you know all the college basketball junkies out there, I mean, college basketball stinks. It just does. It's just the, the quality of play is just awful for in, in most of these games. It's up and down. And it's not even like, I don't even blaming, you know, coaching staffs and, and universities. Like a lot of these guys are just there for that one year. And like you said, you can't really develop them into the type of players we used to see in like the 1990s. I mean, it seems like forever ago. I mean, God, Chris Webber went two years. Like Chris Webber would never go two years in today's, uh, in today's NBA when, you know, that Michigan Fab Five was, was together. So, yeah, maybe it will. I hope it will. I hope it will make college basketball better. I don't even think, like, I, as much as you'd like to see stars, I don't know how you feel about this, but as much as you like to see stars in college basketball, it, it's, you root for the laundry, don't you? Like, you're, you know, college basketball, I don't think, I don't think the tournament takes a hit because Jalen Green might not be a part of it. I still think the, there's still going to be an immense interest in the NCAA tournament. Maybe the regular season doesn't get as much visibility, but the college basketball regular season wasn't great anyway. Um, but the NCAA tournament to me is still going to be just must-see TV regardless of who's playing in it because as much as you might want to see a Jalen Green play, you're, you're more looking at Duke, Michigan or you know, Duke, North Carolina or you know, that, that Cinderella team like Davidson or Wichita State. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like college basketball would be devastated by the loss of you know, 10 prospects per year going pro. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's, yeah, to some extent, you know, now, if they are able to add, you know, a second or third, you know, team like this, you know, maybe they, they lose a little bit more off the top. But yeah, I mean, to the point, I, I agree. Like, the tournament is still going to be the big money maker, and people come to that because of the competition, because of the uh, pageantry. I don't think that's going to change. Um, but yeah, this is kind of already the direction college basketball has been going anyway. Like, there's not a ton of uh, big regular season storylines anymore really i mean we you know we had zion that year and we had you know trey young the year before that and you know every year there are guys who really kind of do captivate uh you know the the fans but at the same time uh it's such a tribal that's the word people like to use with college sports but it is it's very tribal and uh you know you know your teams are you're gonna root for your teams and you know kentucky fans are gonna root for whoever's playing for kentucky yeah no question about that um as we kind of look ahead to you know, whenever the draft is going to be held. Um, what has this pandemic done to both NBA teams and, and prospects who are making their decisions? What's your read on how 
how the world is kind of ground to a halt has changed the NBA draft process and changed who might be a part of that process? For, for the top guys, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. Like, you know, a lot of people know they're going in the draft. and um, You know, the loss of the tournament, probably you lose opportunity. Um, there, there are guys who always break out. That didn't happen this year. For, for players who are sort of on the fringes of draftability, you know, it's harder. It's going to be harder to, you know, raise your stock or whatever. But from a team perspective, I think what it does create is sort of an opportunity uh, to be creative, especially in a draft that, uh, you know, everyone seems to think is down. I don't disagree with that. Um, maybe you see even more, you know, behind the scenes stuff or, you know, that we don't hear about, but, you know, for teams shut, try to shut guys down early, uh, try to cut deals to, you know, stash a guy somewhere or, you know, do, do the type of, you know, creative things here to sort of take advantage of the situation because, uh, you know, these guys aren't working out anywhere. If I'm an agent, I'm like, hey, you know, how can I get my guy to the best situation? And it's much easier to be like, oh, my guy can't talk <laughs> than, than it is like, oh, I'm not going to bring him in to work out for you, right? So mm. if anything, I, I'm just very curious to see strategically. Um, and, you know, we, this kind of stuff, obviously, may never make it out, but, uh, you know, what kind of goes on behind closed doors as far as this draft? Yeah, I mean, I feel for some of the kids that might have used the NCAA tournament as a springboard to a higher draft pick. I mean, because that happens all the time where, you know, a, a guy you may have seen on the fringes of the NBA draft had a great tournament and all of a sudden he's in the lottery. I mean, it, it, they see guys skyrocket all the time. Um, I, you know, NBA teams, you really shouldn't need the, the NCAA tournament. You really shouldn't. I mean, you don't even need the combine. I, I don't. Maybe the combine is useful for those kind of fringe firsts and second round picks that teams tend to stockpile, but you just have so much tape on these guys, right? Like, I mean, I mean, most of those guys in the second round, they're juniors and seniors. You should be able to look back at three years of tape, phone calls with coaches. I mean, it really is an excuse. If anybody says that this draft messes up and or significantly disrupts their draft process, I, I just think that that team's not working hard enough. Like that team is not doing the work you need to do leading up to the NCAA tournament, leading up to the combine to, to understand what you need to know about these guys that are drafted. I mean, it's the combine. I mean, you've been there every single year. I mean, half the guys aren't even paying attention. Like they're just, there's a lot of, a lot of chatter back and forth. A lot of guys are talking to agents and working on free agency stuff. I just don't, as much as I think it has some value because those individual meetings tend to be valuable uh, with teams, with some of these prospects, I just don't think it's it's an all that devastating blow to lose the NCAA tournament or the combine. What do you think? Yeah, that's the point I was going to make with the combine. I mean, the one, I think the one element of that that will be missed strongly is just, yeah, the measurements. You know, the top guys don't really measure, but everybody else does. And, uh, you know, for some teams that aren't able to get guys into their building for whatever reason, uh, or would not otherwise, you know, have an easy of a time trying to set up a meeting, you know, having some of those opportunities uh, at the combine are, is valuable. And that's something that will be a little bit harder to finesse. Right. But yeah, I mean, moreover, I mean, the five on five at the combine, it probably shouldn't matter as much as it tends to. Right. I mean, <laughs> uh, but the, the, you know, the fact is, I mean, the guys who are making these decisions, you know, the top executives, they are not on the road as much during the season. Uh, that's something that I think, you know, sometimes it gets lost. It's just like, yeah, these guys are with the team all the time. You know, they're traveling on the road. Uh, so they don't have as much of an opportunity to just to like see these guys in person and do the evals. And so while the staff, you know, staff's on whole can be as prepared as you want, but you still got to, you know, the number one and number two guys got to make that decision. Uh, yeah. depending, you know, you know what I mean? So, so that's where it's valuable. And those guys are now are going to have to, you know, probably do more work than they want to. <laughs> but, but other than that, I mean, Combine tends to combine to me tends can have as detrimental an impact as it has a positive one too. I mean, I remember measure the measurements. I mean, I, I, one of the things I'll never forget is like being around Cody Zeller when Zeller like his wingspan was a little bit shorter, and like everyone at the media scrum was asking about his wingspan. Like, will that affect you? Like, guy played in college for a couple of years. Like, his wingspan all of a sudden becomes this outstanding issue. And then look, I remember Rudy Gobert had a terrible combine. Rudy Gobert was the best defensive big man in the league was like viewed as this unathletic kind of slog at the combine. I thought that really cost him some draft selections that year. So I think that combine can do something to do more harm than good to in the minds of people that don't see these guys as much. 
yeah, a lot of it's noise. And again, like you said, the most the most prepared teams will be fine. Um, and you know, as far as I know, like you know, talking to people with teams, everyone is just doing the same thing right now. It's just going through film and uh, you know, doing added background, you know, checking back over stuff, and you know, being prepared just because since there's it's not sure when the draft will be. Um, you know, you're preparing like it's in June just in case. So, uh, you know, how that impacts the thought process and the group think we'll see. Maybe there's less of it because everyone's sort of, you know, by themselves. Um, so there, there's no way to in- entirely know. Um, but but it does it does sort of throw those those things that we take for granted kind of into flux. All right. So you've been watching a lot of these guys, both in person before the pandemic hit and uh, on film since then. Uh, I want to play a little higher low here because, you know, the Internet is forever and we'll remember this uh, this discussion when, you know, 10, <laughs> 10 years from now when these guys careers have been uh, shaped a little bit. But give me the player in this draft, not necessarily the number one overall pick in Anthony Edwards type, but give me the player in this draft that you're most high on and you think is maybe being a little undervalued out there. I think I think the guy I, b- I believe in the most is, is probably Tyrese Halliburton uh, from Iowa State, and I've, it's just that sort of thing. Like, I've I've just kind of been on that train for for a while with him. Just you know, I saw him in December of 2018 for the first time. I didn't know who he was, and you know, I've told the story before, but you know, I, I just I've been fascinated with his development. And uh, man, he can just the way he passes and the way he sort of processes and, and thinks and he throws these diagonal passes that most guys don't make and he does it you know all the time and uh you know just creates these opportunities for an offense just e- even without being able to create a ton off the dribble just he, he does so much with the pass and it's it's so unique to me um and i just i think that's going to play up so you know he, he's a guy he does have a little bit of a wider range like somewhere middle of the lottery to uh, you know in, in that range it's not, not really a wide range but like you know, I have him four on our board. I don't know if he'll go that high, but you know, he's the type of guy who it's going to depend on you know what a team values in, in its guards because he's not like a traditional "I'm going to take you off the bounce" type of guy. So that's an interesting one. All right, give me the flip side of it. Someone you think might be being a little overvalued at this point? I think Obi Toppin is one where you know you you see him coming up in conversations as a top, you know possible top five, six pick. And I just, for, for me, I, I wouldn't do that. Just, you know, the fact that he is 22, I think matters, even in a down draft, which I acknowledge. Um, but, but, you know, I, I went to see him twice and, you know, I like what he brings to the table, but I view him as more of like a strong role guy. Uh, you know, he, he, he defensively, you know, you watch him move and he's, he's not super fleet of foot. Uh, you know, I worry about him defending in space. Uh, I worry about the lack of lower body strength. You know, he, he's put on a lot of weight, in his upper body, but his, his legs are still very narrow. And it's funny, the game I was at, you know, Dayton was playing at Rhode Island and Rhode Island has, uh, you know, Obi's brother, Jacob, who is, you know, transferring to Kentucky now, but I mean, you look at Jacob and they have the same body type, but you know, just they, there's age disparity, but you can, you can sort of see how Obi went from, you know, very skinny to very strong in a short period of time. Uh, you know, to some extent that's good, to some extent it's bad. And so anyway, I think there's some limitations there. I, I don't see him as like uh, the guy you necessarily want to like anchor your draft to at the top. Um, and it seems like he's being talked about in that way. Uh, and that's one that I don't totally get. Uh, but, you know, I, for me, he's like a back-end lottery guy, which is fine. He's still mm-hmm. a good player. So what's the field look like for, for international players this year? Yeah, um, I mean, LaMelo Ball, obviously, we're not going to count because, you know, he obviously played in Australia. And RJ Hampton, same, same thing. Those guys played in Australia, but they're Americans. So I'm not going to, like, group them in here. But, yeah, Danny Avdia from... Uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv is a guy, obviously, he's been talked about a lot. Uh, pretty pretty versatile player. I think still coming into his own, still kind of figuring out offensively, you know, what he's going to be. But, uh, you know, people think he can help you in a, a variety of different ways. And, you know, I, I'm not quite as, as in love with him as some people are uh, as a prospect. But, yeah, you know, I think people think he has a chance to be a, you know, a solid uh, solid piece. And I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, and then the guy who I actually like more is, is Killian Hayes. Um, who, you know, he's French. He played in Germany this year, really had a strong season. Uh, I think he's a guy who, you you know, I've heard some buzz about, you know, with, with teams as someone who's going to go a little bit higher maybe than initially thought, uh, which which makes sense. And uh, as far as, you know, guys who can really create in ball screens go, there aren't, aren't a ton of great, lead, like, lead guards. There are a lot of guards, but they're not a lot of, like, true, like, creative playmakers. And, you know, I think Hayes is one of those guys in this draft. Uh, and so you've got those two guys and you've got, uh, you know, uh, Teo Maladon, uh, who's another uh, French French guard who 
uh, his stock's been a little bit down. You know, he didn't have a great year, kind of had a, a tough time, uh, you know, sort of getting into the right role, which is funny because he's been on the same team for a couple of years. But, uh, you know, he's a guy who should go in the first round. Um, and then further down, there's, you know, a couple more interesting names. You know, you have Leandro Balmaro, uh, the Argentinian guard, who I think is pretty interesting uh, as a playmaker. And then uh, the guy who everybody's a little bit curious about is uh, Alexei Pokashevsky, um, who was a Serbian forward. Uh, who's pretty versatile, but also very, very narrow. And he's going to be the youngest guy in the draft. So, uh, you know, all those guys are pretty interesting. And I, I think it'll be a fairly international heavy first round, but, you know, not that that's like indicative or anything, but just that's sort of how it's shaping up right now. When you first saw LaMelo Ball, what was it, three years ago now, kind of going into that junior high school, then he drops out, he goes pro and all that stuff happens. Um, did you think this is where we would be, you know, with the – you know, LaMelo in the mix for that, you know, top three pick. Yeah. It's funny for me, like LaMelo was kind of off my radar for a bit. Like I wasn't really watching the games, uh, you know, when he was in Lithuania and it's you know, the first time I saw him, he was a, an eighth grader. He was a high school freshman, but he was supposed to be an eighth grader. And it was when Lonzo was a, a senior in high school. So the three balls were on, were on Chino Hills with uh, Anyeka Okongwu, who is also, you know, uh, going to be a lottery pick this year. Uh, so it was a pretty, pretty loaded team, but it's funny because, you know, you see LaMelo then and he's like a little kid. And then, you know, I went to the – I was in uh, L.A. over the summer and I went to the Drew League to watch LaMelo, sat around all day, watched him, and, you know, man, and now he shot up. He's legit 6'6". And uh, he's totally just blossomed into a, you know, pretty legit prospect. You know, now would I take him number one? I don't think I would. And I don't think that's going to happen just because I think teams sort of view the risk aspect of it. You know, there's some people who are just tired of – you know, the ball stuff, whether warranted or not, people are just worried about, you know, the, you know, the trappings that have come with that and sort of have, you know, sort of, you know, Lonzo has turned out just fine, but have kind of, you know, they sort of hampered the start of his career. Right. And so, you know, I think there's risk and just the fact that LaMelo hasn't really like won at any level scares people. And, you know, the, the lack of interest in, in defense, um, you know, it just might take a little time, but I, I don't doubt the talent there. Um, but, you know, for, for me, that's just not what I would do at one, even if maybe he does have, and if we're talking pure upside, sure. But I, I just think the, the risk reward thing is, is a problem for teams. Could you imagine if like the Knicks drafted LaMelo and you plant LeVar in New York and that circus starts up all over again in, in a bigger, more, you know, wider media market. I mean, that I, you know, I mean, like I, I think LaMelo seems like a fine kid. I don't know anything bad about him, but um, that that feels like a recipe for disaster. Like putting and, and the Knicks who haven't had a <laughs> the Knicks haven't had a good point guard in decades. Like you know he'd be he'd be ripe for them to to grab if they were able to to draft him there. But man, I just I don't know how that that plays itself out in New York. Yeah, that's uh, you know if, if that happens, I mean, good good for the NBA on one hand, right? But you know, I mean, he, people are going to show up to see him, uh, but. Uh, you know, as far as fit, I, I don't know if that's, you know, from, from Nick's, Nick's perspective, yes, it's a good fit. But at the same time, you know, knowing that they're trying to sort of re-engineer uh, their front office and sort of the perception, uh, you know, they really will have to think long and hard, you know, if they are put in that position in the lottery to draft him, it's like, you know, is this the right move for us? And, you know, I think, you know, once you get past, as long as they're not picking one, like it probably is. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a plot line. Everyone is interested in, you know, LaMelo, I think at one point, um, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think he was at one point tied to CAA, so it's curious to see, you know, how Leon Rose will would handle that. Yeah, I think you need like Phoenix or Detroit to draft Lamelo to have any kind of normalcy at the beginning uh, of his career, but we'll see, we'll see. I think he's a pretty <laughs> pretty interesting guy to watch. Uh, Jeremy, appreciate your time, man. You can check all of Jeremy's stuff out on SI.com. He's got his mock drafts up there and draft content all throughout the draft, whenever that may be. Yeah, do you, are you getting any sense about what the the draft timeline is? Because I'm not. Like, as far as I know, like, there's 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 no, like, the, nobody's deciding anything at this point in the NBA office. Pretty much, as Adam yeah. Silver said, everything's on the table. Yeah, no, nothing has been decided. I, th- I think the only thing that I feel sort of confident in saying is just, I think they're going to keep the order of operations with the offseason intact. So, you know, if the season does pick up, which I'm not sure if it will, but if it does, you know, then they're going to have to move everything back just because it gets too complex. You know, if you're drafting before the season is over and then, you know, when do you do free agency? Like the easiest solution is just to keep all those things, you know, it might be more of a squished timeline, uh, but, but at least keep them in the same order so that people can kind of, you know, 
it's an accelerated timetable, but at least you know how to prepare for it. Um, I, I would guess that that is what happens, but I, I would also guess it's August or September, just in case, uh, you know, even if the season doesn't pick up, just to leave a little sliver of time where, hey, you know, even if you can get two or three weeks where guys can fly around and work out, you know, one on zero solo for safety, whatever. But, uh, you know, hey, say that happens, that's, I think teams will take that versus not having any contact at all. So uh, I, I would guess that's what happens, but I have no, I mean, no one really knows for sure. Hey, look, if it's if they wind up forcing the way back in the summertime and the season ends in August, maybe you start experimenting a little bit on the back end too. Let's put the draft after free agency. Let's do free agency and then do the draft and see if that, you know, I know a lot of team executives that want that, Jeremy, like that think there's there's far more value in the draft after free agency because you have a pretty clear idea of what your needs are after uh, all the dust settles there. I, I'd love to see them try different things and and take advantage of a bad situation. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like I, I, I do think that there's merit to that idea. Uh, I think it'll help with preparation. I think fewer bad decisions will be made if, if that is eventually what, what the change ends up being. But I, I don't know if this is the year that I would try it just because there's so much else that that's being, you know, thrown into flux. Like if, if you also flip flop that and ask everyone to rethink that on the fly during a year like this, like I think that's a tricky proposition just because I think more mistakes are going to be made. Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I do think down the line, that's a good idea. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, Jeremy, appreciate it, man. Catch up with you soon. All right, man. Take care. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I, I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcast. You find it. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali back in 1988, and to my great surprise, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on family, spirituality, and on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story and also stories of others touched by the champ, including people such as Reverend Al Sharpton, and James Buster Douglas. We'll even hear from Muhammad's daughter, Rashida. Well, my dad was, he was Peter Pan. Like he never really grew up. He was very mature when it came down to social issues. He was very in tune. He felt a responsibility to be able to share his connection to millions of people who were in need. In each of these stories, we share lessons, lessons that have meant a great deal to me and that I hope will be meaningful to you. Listen to The Dial of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So the NBA's new G League program figures to have uh, an impact on college basketball. It could be minimal. It could be profound. A story in the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, writing about this issue is headlined with new NBA G League program means beginning of the end of the NCAA as we know it. So to get some perspective on the NCAA impact, I want to bring in Eric Musselman, who is the head coach at the University of Arkansas. And Eric certainly has uh, a different perspective uh, as a former NBA head coach and assistant coach for a number of years in the league ranks. Eric, how are you today? I'm doing great. Great, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. So just before I get into this topic, I mean, how uh, how has this impacted you? I mean, you are a coach of a major college program. What are you able to do? What are you not able to do? And what are you being told by administrators about, uh, you know, what's the next step out here? I mean, obviously, the only thing you can really do right now is, number one, worry about, you know, the health of your, your current players. And um, we're all recruiting, you know, via FaceTime and, and doing virtual tours. So it's a whole new landscape for all of us not, you know not just collegiately but but certainly the NBA NFL NHL everybody's going through a unique time frame and we're all kind of learning from each other we're re- I'm reading about what NFL coaches are doing and so on and so forth but it's really just about um, you know trying to stay in contact with your guys both individual and then collectively as a team um, later on today we're actually having a zoom uh, team group um, you know, conversation. It really won't be about basketball. It'll, it'll just kind of be some team bonding stuff that we can do through the internet. Yeah, I saw a video you posted of uh, you running a practice by yourself, I believe. <laughs> that was, was that right? That's right, Chris. I did uh, a, a practice by myself, um, a game by myself, a press conference by myself. <laughs> um, and then what was the last? Oh, and then the last one, I was a fan uh, alone in arena, as if he was watching one of our teams play. And I know all the criticisms about call a timeout, play zone defense, you know, so I, I kind of had a little bit of fun against myself. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so this this rule change, not even a rule change, this program that the NBA is, is beginning, which has already claimed Jalen Green, uh, one of the top, if not the top NBA prospect for the 2021 draft, um, I, I guess give me your reaction to the NBA kind of launching this program that will, at least theoretically, and I guess not theoretically, it has claimed some of the top prospects that otherwise would have been going to college basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think just kind of in general, I mean, uh, look, I went to the University of San Diego, played Division One basketball. Those were the four best years of my life. Um, I coached in the G League um, with the Reno Bighorns and the L- L.A. Defenders. And those were my two worst years uh, of my life. So, and I say that because the D League or G League is, is, it's a great coaching experience. It's great for players, but everybody's trying to get out. Um, And again, this new team or new whatever they're putting together, I can't comment on that. And really nobody can because it's, it's hasn't really happened yet. So um, look, I love my time in the G League. Um, having said that, uh, I think that, you know, for a player, like what best prepares a player to have longevity in the NBA? And there's probably arguments on both sides, but I do think some things that have not been brought up when you play in the G league, you might play in front of 2000 people or less. I've been a part of games in the G league where there was, you could count under 200 people. So you could theoretically say, for instance, if you play a game at Bud Walton Arena or you play a game in the SEC, at least in our home arena, you're going to play in front of 19,000 people. I think if you play in front of 19,000 people as opposed to 200 people, that pressure is going to prepare you better for the NBA. I think if you have to go into a media room uh, after playing an SEC conference game and your media is 10 to 25 people, we have – 
up to 25 media members after a game at Arkansas, as opposed to the G League where there might not be anybody covering the game. And I, I mean that, where I've come out of the locker room, there's no media coverage. You get on the bus and you go to your hotel and get ready to take a 6 a.m. flight the next day. So I certainly think media-wise, um, preparing yourself to deal with a larger contingency of media, uh, college basketball can help you. Um, certainly there's some things that are advantageous um, with the G League. I like the fact that they play a 48-minute game, which is what the NBA plays as opposed to our 40-minute game. Uh, there's four quarters in the G League, and in college there's two halves. So I think what college basketball has to do is I think we've got to all come together and we've got to have rules in our game that are very similar to what the NBA has. I think, you know, college, FIBA, and the NBA, and the NBA is not going to change. We know that. But certainly we need to make some adjustments. I think that um, especially with, with what's going on right now, we're going to have to make adjustments so that the college game becomes even more intriguing for a prospect who eventually wants to go to the NBA. But I do think, Chris, what, what has gotten lost in all of this is only time will tell the non-success stories because um, there's going to be some failure stories that happen. And once that starts going on, then there could be a changing of, of the mentality of, of, of this whole situation. Do you have any concerns that this could fundamentally change college basketball that you're right they're, they're we don't know a lot at this point this is a new program and we'll see how it all uh you know kind of plays out in the coming years but I mean could this fundamentally change college basketball if you have you know let's say one select team leads to two and, and suddenly you have three or four teams that are comprised of the top overall talent I mean is, do you view that as a threat to the college game well, I can tell you for sure, Chris, there's not going to be three or four development teams mm. um, like this because financially, I mean, I've, <laughs> I sat in plenty of meetings when the, the G League was just kind of starting to grow um, and there was financial concerns then. Obviously, the league is way, way, way watered down from the time that I was in the league when there was only, I don't know, 12, 14 teams to now, you know, in the 20s. So the talent level is way different people don't understand that um you know there's way more two-way contracts there used to not be two-way contracts and um so to me again i think just over time but really you know what what this is kind of um mirroring so to speak is is what europe's done for many years um you know with their soccer club teams and and having development teams and having less games but working on fundamentals and things like that so uh, but, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that there's going to be enough players where it becomes any type of threat to college basketball. But I do think, again, from a rules standpoint, we need to, we need to try to formulate things where they're a little bit more um, mirroring what, what the NBA does as far as quarters and, and, and possibly even link the game, to be honest with you. Do you think there's any momentum from that, you know, to, to make the changes that you're talking about with some of the other you know, college coaches that are out there, sort of the people in power? Not as much as I think there should be. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, anytime I've been a part of any NCAA or conference rules stuff, it's, it's uh, you know, change is, is very little. And again, I just, you know, I, you know, college women's basketball went to four quarters. Um, having been a part of FIBA, because I've coached in FIBA, coached in the G League when we did experimental stuff with the game, obviously the NBA. You know, I can tell you, like, there are certain rules that I think are great. Advancing the ball um, makes the NBA game extremely entertaining um, rather than have to take the ball the length of the floor uh, in late-game situations. It, 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 there's a lot more strategic things that go into uh, the game with, with the way the NBA rules are, especially under two minutes and such. For whatever reason, we don't want to adapt. And for whatever reason, there's voices that are giving opinions that haven't coached with the other rules. So I don't know how they truly can say what's better and what's not unless you go with the select few uh, who have done both. You know, I mm -hmm. think the, the FIBA rule of, of knocking the ball off the rim is one of the great rules, which I don't know why it hasn't 
been adapted all throughout basketball because it, it, it adds to the entertainment value and it takes away some of the referees having to make a judgment call. So, uh, But I do think as players start to think about pro ball at an earlier age that we have to come up with things in our game uh, that make it a little bit more intriguing. And, and we have to adapt just like everything changes over time. You know, your rules are going to have to change to some degree as well. You know, college basketball, and, and you know this as a guy that, you know, has coached in the NBA, G League, all throughout the, the professional ranks. College basketball is really beholden to the NBA, right? Like the, the NBA, these are not college rules that, that get tossed around. This is the NBA making unilateral decisions, whether it's this G League team or changing the age minimum. Is there, I mean, you mentioned some things that college basketball can do that would be helpful. Is there any way for college basketball to become, I don't know, more independent from the NBA and not be so you know, beholden to the changes that the league makes? I don't know. That's a great question, Chris. I, you know, I, I haven't really given that much thought, but, but, you know, I do think if, if players are starting to go overseas and, and not going to college and it's just a small, small number or, now there's a couple guys going to the to the new G League team, and however that plays out, whatever their schedule looks like, um, whatever the coaching staff looks like, I do think there's some things within our control, like a shorter shot clock would allow more possessions, which you theoretically could say would help develop a player with more possessions, both offensively and defensively. So I think you can only control what you can control, and I do think that the NBA and college basketball partner up a little bit more than maybe what the general public assumes. Yeah. um, Dan Wetzel over at Yahoo Sports wrote an interesting piece uh, this week where one of the things he suggested was for the NCAA uh, basketball to adopt uh, a style similar to, or at least a rule similar to what college hockey has, where to paraphrase, if you get drafted, you are still allowed to play you know, college sports. You can stay with your school, stay with your program, and not be, you know, have to make that choice right away. What do you think of that idea? Well, so we've we've been a part of the last three years. Um, a few years ago at Nevada, we had three guys test the waters. They all three came back. But with the dates and the way the recruiting calendar play out, it's it's really hard, Chris, to try to build your team because number one, you want to support your player. Um, Right now here at Arkansas, we have two guys that are testing the waters. One we feel is not coming back. The other one we feel is gathering as much information and and taking his time and and, and trying to make the the right decision. But as we try to build our team, it's it's difficult. Um, Because obviously if you have a player testing the NBA waters, he's probably – your most talented player and and to have three guys off a mid-major team like we did at Nevada mm. that's really really hard because you want to give the player the best advice that he possibly can you want him to start his pro career at the appropriate time not just where he can make an NBA team but where he can have a career I do think that that hockey model um, probably helps the player um, maybe more than anybody and I think that's what it should be about so I think it's certainly something that should be looked at a lot more closely. Um, obviously, the later the date gets pushed back, the harder it is from a recruiting standpoint and building your 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 team. But um, again, everything that we try to do is, is supposed to be in the best interest of the player. And I think if a guy thinks he's going to get drafted and then he finds out he doesn't get drafted, it's probably best to come back to college. But But players are forced right now to make that decision um, when it's kind of guesswork, because you can go to the NBA undergraduate um, committee and, and you can get feedback, but but that feedback when when you get later in the draft, it becomes um, those numbers forty five to sixty. Let's face it, that that, that changes, and and um, there's you can't predict forty five to sixty in the NBA draft. Nobody can. People in in NBA draft rooms can't even predict that. So um, certainly, I think anything that 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 we can help a player if he doesn't so many of these guys think they're getting drafted I mean there's going to be 60 guys that think they're getting drafted and they they're not going to get picked and they're probably not even on a draft board so Mm -hmm. certainly I think from an education standpoint guys learn a lot more when the draft night ends and they're sitting there without a team so 
I mean, it would be nice to have those guys be able to fall back and get go back and get their education, be a part of a college team, and try to help their draft status for the following year. Yeah, and you know this, that you can get the most sound advice from the professionals as possible, but you know, for an 18-year-old, you know, they're going to believe what they're going to believe sometimes. Like They're going to feel like they, even if they're a second-round pick, they're going to have a long pro career, and far too often that, that just doesn't that doesn't uh, play out that way. The, the idea of the... Yeah, the other thing too, Chris, is there's so many people in an NBA organization now, like you can call one team and they can give you feedback on one of your players. And then you can call another guy in the organization. He's mm-hmm. going to give you different feedback. So unless you get it from the general manager, even the feedback you get can be convoluted. Yeah, no, no question about that. I mean, not... Not everybody's on the same page, as you know, within uh, within front offices. I can tell NBA. you in draft rooms, there's a lot of people <laughs> not on the same page. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we could have a whole podcast on those kind of stories. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to ask you, Eric, is that, you know, the, we, we talk about this, this G League program. It really just is a stopgap at this point because at some point, the one-and-done rule is going to go away. There's just too much, there's too much uniform thinking on the NBA side uh, that to— make you believe it's going to stick around for much longer. Do you view the elimination of the one and done rule as being good for college basketball bad? I mean, how do you see, how do you see college basketball being impacted by that inevitability? I mean, I, you know, I, I think there's good and bad, you know, both ways, Chris, I really do. I mean, I think that, you know, you look at a guy like Car- Carmelo Anthony, I mean, number one, he got a year of college under his belt. And uh, I use the example when I was in college, those were the best years of my life. So, you know, the, the Carmelo Anthony, you know, he gets that experience at Syracuse, even though it's a short time frame. And Kevin Durant gets his experience at Texas, even though it's a short time frame. And so I think that that's a positive for the player to at least go through a little bit of the college experience. I think it's certainly um, good for those programs to be able to um, celebrate the talent of a Carmelo Anthony or Kevin Durant or whoever else it may be. Um, but but then again, on the other hand, um, when it's 30 games and then you got to kind of start over and rebuild, I mean, that's that's a whole nother discussion. But, I, I, you know, to me, let's just figure out what those rules are for the player and for the NBA and then also for the colleges. And then, and then you just kind of roll with whatever those rules may be. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Because I agree with you. I think there's there's two sides to it. I mean, I think it can be beneficial for some players. But I, you know, one of my arguments for the one and done rule, Eric, has always been like you can't prove a negative, right? Like you can't prove that the one and done rule helped some kid who would have turned pro and become like Corleone Young or Taj McDavid. And instead, that kid went to college, realized that he wasn't capable of playing at that level and wound up getting a degree or wound up playing three years of of high-level college basketball. I've always believed that the one-and-done rule has to have saved some kids from that. Like, it... You'll never be able to prove it or verify it, but I have to... I believe that the one-and-done rule has saved kids from that. Do you... How do you feel about that? I don't think it saved a few. I think it saved a lot. Mm. Um, I really do, because I just... You know, players are unrealistic. Um, The great ones know who they are. I mean, you you think about how times have changed. I mean, Larry Bird, uh, he knew he was going to be a lottery pick. Um, He was, you know, picked by the Boston Celtics. And at that time, you know, Red Arbach, the Boston Celtics. I mean, that was, you can't get any higher than that. You can't get any higher than a lottery pick. And he went back for, for a senior year of college. So that shows you how things have, you know, dramatically changed and, and you watch, you know, the last stand with Michael Jordan and, and, you know, he didn't come out after his first year, he didn't come after a set, you know, so it's just times have changed. Um, but, but, you know, I think the biggest thing is you don't want to go to that league until you're ready because it doesn't do any good um, to be a draft pick and then be out of the league in three or four years. It's, it's, it's really about longevity and, can you have a double digit career in that league where you're financially set uh, yourself up for life and then hopefully other family members? Yeah, no question about that. Uh, Eric, always appreciate your time, man, your perspective. Uh, stay safe down there, stay healthy, and uh, I- I'll be following your social media for uh, new content every day, I hope. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate you having me on. It's always great to join you. 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.